Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to a Friday edition of the podcast. Um, we're going to go over the last couple of days of spring football, what we've been able to observe and see. And there's been some movement, too, um, as expected. We teased it on the on deck territory earlier this week um, that there wasn't going to be just one transfer. Uh, there'd probably be a couple. And we've let's start there. Um, it's against show notes, but we should, probably should address both of these. Um, Jonathan Dennis, he officially went into the portal Tuesday and announced it uh, on Sunday that he was going into the portal. That was the first one. The second, Jalen Jeffers, we noticed – uh, he was not at practice on Thursday, and we had heard around Wednesday or Tuesday that he was also potentially going to be going into the portal. And now, as of Friday morning, he has put his name into the portal. I, I think two of them, um, young prospects, probably weren't going to play this season, but from a long-term perspective, this is a hit. Yeah, no, I mean, these were guys in the second – team on the depth chart though um you know there's a chance that they'd play if with injury and i think that's where you get a little concerned right now when they did um and again jeffers wasn't at thursday's practice and i think looking at my notes i'm not sure he was there tuesday either um i just don't know if we kind of noticed it um in our in our practice report but you know when they were doing 11 on on thursday and we'll get to some more of our notes there uh those two players absences are felt because you're now moving feope balu out to tackle you're you're moving walk-ons up to the second team and Charlie Pickard. Um, we're going to need some depth on the offensive line. Um, they've got a couple guys coming this this summer um, in Koika Rogers and Dave Iuli. You kind of hope one or two of those guys is ready to be, I don't want to say a contributor, but at least physically ready in a pinch. Because I, I think you do have the depth where this isn't like the scariest thing in the world. Dawson Jaramillo can play guard, tackle, maybe some center. Jackson Powers Johnson, we should note, was fully on defense all of spring until the last couple of days where he's been doing a little more offense. Um, that provides you a little versatility. So I'm not trying to put the panic button on here, but um, this is somewhat concerning. And I, I think 2023 is where you start to kind of really worry because I would expect that all of these starters, the five that came back this this year, are, are probably done after. Even Jones is the only one with eligibility remaining. Um, I don't know if he wants to stick around for what would be a sixth year, I think, or fifth year. Um, trying to think on his 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 eligibility window, but regardless, it'd be a long time, and I, I would imagine at that point you're going to be a little concerned because I had Jalen Jeffers penciled in as my future left tackle, and I had Jonathan Dennis as somebody who was probably going to challenge to be a starter, whether it be at center or guard as well. So, uh, a couple of those key guys down that certainly doesn't help matters. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you never want to have offensive line depth leave. Uh, I, I too, was, was high on both Jeffers and Dennis. Um, really like Jonathan Dennis from just what we've barely seen from him in practice. He's been hurt for the most time. Uh, Jeffers kind of the same way where he's been injured during points during last season. Um, but, yeah, like, like Eric outlined, offensive line depth is always important. Um, I do think that they have decent line depth, at least for this year. But, yeah, the real problems come for next year in 2023. Um, this will mean that. Oregon needs to add a couple of recruits in this cycle, this 2023 cycle for the offensive line. Um, that'll be, you know, big shoes to fill for Adrian Clem. Um, you know, Josh Connerly later decides his decision on where to go to school. 
uh, today on Friday. So that'll be potentially it'll be Oregon. Maybe not, most likely not, but that could be somebody who could be in the, in the right. plans in the future if he does commit to Oregon. Um, but yeah, both these guys were seemingly had a straight shot at starting next year. Um, I'm not overly surprised about Dennis leaving, but I am more more surprised about Jalen Jeffers leaving the program than I am. Uh, he just seemed like he had a really straight shot to be like a starting tackle next year. Um, you know, Dennis is a Florida kid. I can kind of see, well, you can also kind of see where he's probably going to end up at college for the next couple of years uh, since he is a Florida kid. But, you know, I could see him more likely than not transferring just because of the distance. And if he's not like an immediate, if he's not starting, then, you know, this is how the transfer portal goes. It creates an opportunity for a player to go to a school to create their own opportunity, which, and you know, all credit to them. You know, they, they want to take this decision and go try it somewhere else. I think they have the, the luxury and the ability to do so. So let them um, just, you know, it hurts Oregon's offensive line depth at the end of the day. Uh, there's not, not too much else because I didn't expect either of them to be an impact guy this season. Um, they still have good depth with Jar Millo and Jackson Powers Johnson and Marcus Harper, Feope Lalu. You know, they have some guys, the rotational guys, but these, you know, you just always want depth, especially at an offensive line position. Okay, let's now transition to what we've seen on the the field. Um, we've we've been lucky enough to go to practice and two different times now we've seen 11 on 11 um, both instances were about 15 snaps total um, so we've seen about 30 offense and defensive 11 on 11 um, over the last two weeks and the second time happened on Thursday and uh, there was a change in in the quarterback group um, from the first time Bo Nix was with the ones. Ty Thompson was twos. Jay Butterfield was with threes. We should note that there's. It's notable, but it's it's not the end of the. It's not the, the biggest thing either. Um, you know, Dan Landing himself is that they don't have depth charts right now. They're rotating consistently. Dillingham, you know, mentioned that as well. Um, and and that's not coach speak. I think all three of us kind of believe that. Um, but nonetheless. Nick's was with the ones. Um, I I think my biggest takeaway was was that all three offensive units went down the field and would have had a scoring situation. Two of them didn't score touchdowns. One of them did, but nonetheless, all three would have sent out a kicker at minimum to to attempt a very makeable field goal. Dan told us we were doing our jobs wrong, actually. He said, if we we're paying attention to this is the one, Susan threes, we're looking at the wrong thing. Um, but hey, this is the stuff that's like probably kind of most interesting at the yeah. very least is 11 on 11. And so this is what we're doing and we're paying attention to it, even though, as Matt said, uh, Dan and Dillingham and everyone's like, there's no first, second and third team. Um, we're going to operate. I'm not saying that we're disregarding his comments, but I mean, we're going to report what we see and Yep. There is a sep- I mean, there's separation in terms of the first group that come out. So if you don't want to call it first team, we can say this was the first group that was on the field. This was the second group, et cetera, um, if, if, if we want to differentiate. But, yeah, no, what Matt said is accurate. I think, I mean, the play of the day came from Ty Thompson to Sean Dollars to the second group that was out there. 
on a, a wheel route that was about 60 plus yards. Uh, Dollars was able to get out of the backfield, beat Buckner in space, Brandon Buckner, who was with the second group. Um, and, and it was really, it was a nice throw and catch and it would have been a touchdown. I don't even think he got to the end zone though, because they whistled him down because that's just how it is in practice. And we, we should also note one, one reason that maybe the offense was having some success is this wasn't a padded practice. This was shorts and, 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 and uniforms and helmets. So this wasn't even thudding. This was like two hand touch basically. Um, mm -hmm. so that maybe benefits the offense a little bit. Um, I thought. Bo Nix and Ty Thompson both had good throws, though. I mean, I think they both looked all right out there. I mean, uh, the first group, Nix had a couple completions to Troy Franklin and to Dante Thornton. We saw a little bit of action from slot receivers or receivers on kind of end arounds. I thought was sort of notable. The first unit featured two tight ends, so they were working on some bigger packages. And as Jared will say in a moment, the defense adjusted a little bit in terms of their personnel as well. So, uh, you know, it was a little different look from the previous fastball session that we watched the week before um I'll, I'll run through kind of what we saw from again i know we're landing told us that this isn't what we should be paying attention to it's hard not to pay attention to it and i think those listening are at least interested by who's kind of working with which groups so you know again landing is telling us this is maybe something to disregard but i do think it's worth noting so here's here's kind of what how it broke down uh, cardwell was with nick with the first group um at receiver you had Franklin and Thornton, like I just said, you had two tight ends. It was the two sophomores, Terrence Ferguson and Maliki Matavau. Um, offensive line was the five you'd expect. Alex Forsyth, we should note, was back and taking part in this drill. Part of me wonders is if this was full contact, would he have taken part? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if he's quite ready for that yet, but he was with the center. Ryan Walk and Bass were the guards. Um, and Stephen Jones and Malasala, I'm just going to call him Big Sala, Amave, uh, was, was the other tackle. Um, and so... It's interesting that Bass is, by the way, just kind of moved inside to guard, and he's not playing tackle right now. I think mm -hmm. that's I mean, that's where he was playing most of last year before they shifted him. Second unit, Thompson was shared with with Dollars. They had um, they, this this unit did not have two tight ends. Spencer Webb was the single tight end. They had Chris Hudson and Chase Coda as the receivers on the outside. Seven McGee in the slot. Offensive line had Big Ope at one tackle and Dawson Jaramello at the other. Um, you had. Cannon Rossi and Charlie Pickard with the second team. These are walk-ons at center and guard. And then Marcus Harper was the other scholarship um, offensive lineman, and he was playing right guard. So um, there's your rundown of those units. The third team is mostly walk-ons, but I'll note that like that was where Isaiah Bravard and Isaiah Crocker and Josh Delgado were, were working. I think those are the only scholarship players that were with that team. Yeah, for, for defense, um, I thought it was – First, I'll start by saying it was really interesting that the offense ran a two tight end set um, just right out of the gates. Um, and it wasn't like the 12 personnel where we saw that occasionally last year where like both offense or both tight ends were on the offensive line. Um, this is like Maliki and Terrence Ferguson would split out wide, mm -hmm. which was, I thought was interesting. Not like all the way to the edge of the field, but you know, they'd split out wide compared to where tight ends normally stand. Kind of like how Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and the Chiefs do it, where Kelsey will line out wide, quote unquote, um, and that caused some big. A little bit like a little bit like Georgia was what I was going to say. A little yeah, bit when Georgia how they used Brock Bowers, yeah, yeah, and so the defense had to make some changes, um, and so they didn't have a star safety in the field in these packages just because of the two tight end set. Um, the defensive line was a true like four three where you had uh, Trevor Mai, Sam Taimani, Suava Pody, and DJ Johnson were your down linemen. But Mace Funa was on the edge, and he 
and DJ Johnson would rotate in terms of who was dropping back into coverage, really. Um, it would sometimes, I think one of the times it was like a delayed blitz from Mace Funa off the right edge, which was interesting. And DJ Johnson kind of bluffed it and then dropped back and then seemingly dropped into coverage against Maliki Manavao. It was more of a zone than it was a man. Um, but for linebackers of that first team or that first group out, sorry, Dan, not first team, it was uh, Noah Sewell and Jeffrey Bassa. Uh, safeties were Brian Addison and Triquez Bridges. Triquez Bridges, I think I've talked about this before, but you can mark him down as being a safety most likely this year. I haven't seen him participate in any cornerback drills yet. It's always been safety. Um, as for the cornerbacks, Dante Manning and Christian Gonzalez were that first unit on the field. Um, so I thought that was that was interesting. That was the first time we've I've seen Mace Funa in the 11 on 11 action. Um, again, there are plenty of players who did not participate in these 11 on 11s for whatever reason. It could just be packages. It could be that they're banged up and they don't want to be hurt. They don't want to get even more injured, whatever the case may be. Um, so if we're not naming somebody that you expect to hear, uh, unless they're in the transfer portal, the odds are that they are just not participating in this section. Again, we only get to watch the 20 to 25 minutes that we do, and this is what we see. Um, moving on, the second group on the field for the defense, the defensive line was Brandon Buckner at the left edge, uh, Masail Afasi, Keanu Williams, and Jake Shipley. Linebackers were Jackson LeDuc and Keith Brown. This unit, like Eric said, the offense only had one tight end, Spencer Webb, so they did have a star safety, and that was Bennett Williams. Um, Jaleel Florence was a cornerback, and then the rest were walk-ons and Dondro Brooks, um, Max Wasaki, and Dane Sipos at safety. Uh, third team, not a whole lot of scholarship kids. Um, Anthony Jones was was one of them. Adrian Jackson was the first time that I've seen him line up at inside linebacker and actually participate yeah. in the 11-on-11s, which I thought was notable. Um, he was opposite of Micah Roth, who is a walk-on, but has gotten a lot of praise in the last two years with his play at linebacker. Uh, Darren Barkins was a cornerback. And J.J. Greenfield, who I know isn't on scholarship, but he was in that star safety position. So I thought that was something notable as well. It's certainly an interesting time. It's giving us a peek into what things look like for both sides of the football um, as, as believe it or not, guys, we're like two and a half weeks away from the spring game. Um, so we're getting closer to, to full fledged deep dive into this program where they're at. Um, before we take a break, I just wanted to ask one question. Like I was, I was pleased to see the offense move the football, um, that second time that we watched 11 on 11, which would be this week. Um, it really felt – I liked the – we don't have to go too much into the designs. Uh, I'm sure we get in trouble if we shared that. But I just I, – I liked how Oregon created space, got guys open. Um, the offense looked different than it has at Oregon the last couple of seasons. And I'm not going to say it's like just a tidal wave different, but it was different. Um, and I there's, – there's a lot of pressure on Dillingham. And it was a small sample size, but I liked what I saw. I was I was pleasantly surprised by the offense. Yeah, I don't want to draw too many conclusions, um, but like Matt said, like I mean, I, I I think 
there are a couple things that can happen when you watch this. If, if one unit looks just absolutely terrible, that is probably somewhat instructive, but it didn't look like the offense was like completely overmatched. And again, this was, they weren't thudding, you know, and so I got part of me is kind of like, and, and this is, I think, fastball is kind of just trying to get lined up as quick as possible, trying to get basically, in, this is basically as quick as they can get lined up and move the ball um, for both sides of the football. It's just like, I'm, this is, I'm not saying it's less about what's actually happening. I think it's more about actually like simulating the process of lining up and getting everybody in the right positions. Um, but when the action did take place, it, it wasn't like one group looked, comp- you know, woefully overmatched. Both teams, you know, had some success. Both groups had some success. I, um, I, I like Matt kind of like some of the things we're seeing, not massive deviations offensively from, from the past. Um, I like seeing, and this is something that coach Lanning had mentioned when we asked about kind of a shortage of, of running backs was he said that you can expect to see a lot of guys in the backfield. Well, we're seeing receivers kind of handle the rock a little bit on some of those end arounds, those kind of jet sweep kind of plays more than we saw in the previous staff. And, you know, I, I mentioned that, we haven't seen a lot of screen passes, but I mentioned kind of liking that ability to try to get some of these guys out in space through that sort of thing. And this accomplishes it probably a little bit more safely and a little more quickly to get the ball out in space. So I was, I thought that was notable that that was a package that they were working on. And again, I know we're not trying to get too much into the schematics because Matt said we might get in trouble for that, but I don't think we're, we're like breaking any rules by saying they handed the ball off to a receiver. (laughs) Definitely pleasantly surprised with the offense. Um, I'm not sure how much pressure Kenny Dillingham is under, but I think what he's done so far has honestly, I think it's been extremely different than what we've seen the last couple of years. Um, there are, there's, I forgot who said it, uh, but I was interviewing, I think it was Ryan walk who mentioned that there's not a lot of, uh, excuse me, it was TJ Bass who mentioned that there's, you know, not a lot of counters anymore in this offense kind of digging at, at the old scheme that they had, um, a lot more uh, pushing or not a lot more pulling from the guards perspective, a lot more motion in general. So I do think that it's a lot different than what we've seen in the past. Um, you know, how often did we see a, a wheel route go for 30 yards or 40 yards last time? Um, so I think what we've seen so far is, is you know, ca- I'm, you know, cautiously optimistic that it could translate to something on the field. Um, from the defensive perspective, I think that when they, the last time they were on 11 on 11s, I believe they were in pads and that was a lot more disruptive from the defense. They seem to be a lot more, um, I don't think into it is the right word because clearly they were all active and they were all into the practice, but being able to hit somebody I think is a lot different for an offensive player, especially like going across the middle of the field. Um, I think this defense means business as well, but it was good to see the offense do what they should do in these types of scenarios, which is move the ball quickly down the field and set up an opportunity to score. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is only a brief section that we get to watch. It's in between going from special teams drills to individual drills. Uh, it's almost like a, like a, seems like a warm up for practice, like get everybody's blood, blood pumping and then go into individual drills. So they do those things hard. Um, you know, I would love to be able to fly on the wall and watch the entire, you know, whatever two hours it is that that practice is. Um, and really get to see what those competitions look like when it's full pads or when it's not even full pads. Um, but yeah, I'm, 
you got to – there's – obviously, it's spring football, so everybody's kind of cautiously optimistic. But um, from the brief things that we have seen on the field, it, it's looked nice. It's looked like Kenny Dillingham has an idea of what he's doing, which is great because there were a lot of uh, a lot of naysayers saying that he's never called plays before. Um, but I think he'll be fine. I think he has a lot of offensive weapons this season. Um, I think that might end up being a concern down the line. But for now, I think, I think things are going well. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss the DB room to wrap up uh, this podcast. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast, um, discussing spring football takeaways. We've had some transfer discussion. We've had some offensive discussion. Now it's time to shift over to the defense, and we had an opportunity to – speak with some of the cornerbacks and also cornerbacks coach, defensive passing game coordinator, Demetrius Martin. And um, I spoke with Martin. You guys spoke with the players. I, I think the overall theme here is, is they've got some talent, they've got some youth, and it's trying to blend the two together to get yourself uh, in a position of strength. And Demetrius Martin was very – high on Christian Gonzalez and just the impact that he can have on the field, but also off the field uh, with this unit as they adjust to a new position coach. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, unlike the rest of them, Gonzalez is not a new position coach or Martin's on a new position coach to Gonzalez because they work together at Colorado. So that experience is something that both of them talked about and kind of pulling from each other. Of, um, I think it was Martin who said that Gonzalez can kind of be the, the good cop to his bad cop. And yeah, kind of that kind of, relationship they have kind of maybe makes it easier to integrate things because um, he knows Martin's moods and, and kind of just kind of has been around him for two years and understands what it's like to work with them. And Gonzalez talked about already being kind of a leader of the group and Avante Dickerson, a young corner, uh, second year guy said the same thing that Gonzalo, Gonzo, as they call him, is somebody who's really stepped up into a leadership role um, and that they kind of look at him as an older brother. And again, this is not a fifth year player. This is a third, guy entering his third year. Um, you know, he and Dante Manning are the elder statesmen of the corner room right now, and they've they've only been on they've only had two full years of college behind them. And of course, Manning has dealt with injuries and hasn't played quite as much. Um, I think if we're just talking, I think it's been interesting the way this position battle has played out because I don't know if it's gone exactly the way I anticipated because of where Bridges is lining up. Um, Bridges, as as Jared said earlier, and as Martin said earlier um, this week. Bridges is a safety right now. He hasn't been working yeah. at corner. And because of that, it's basically been Christian Gonzalez and Dante Manning with the ones when we watched. And it kind of feels like barring – and, again, they might, they might work on cross-training at something they talked about, maybe some positional versatility. I think Lanning mentioned maybe moving Bridges back a little bit at some point um, to kind of see how he fares there. Um, you know, they are taking that approach of let's get a guy comfortable at one spot and then we can kind of maybe mix and match a little later. But – Right now, it feels kind of like it's Gonzalez and Manning with the ones and, and then a bit of a gap to the rest um, at the corner spot. And I think that's not exactly how I expected this would play out because I thought Bridges was going to be in this competition. Um, and he, he really hasn't been. And Dante Dickerson is now dealing with, I think, some sort of an injury that forced him to be with the rehab group. So the corner group is a little bit different than we expected. Some really positive um, early indications on Julio Florence um, that we've heard as well. Um, and I'll toss it to Jared here. I mean, I think Oregon's lucky that Dante Manning is still with the program because, yeah. as, as Manning told Jared, 
there was some real consideration about that changing um, just a couple months ago. Yeah, so I, I spoke with Dante Manning for, I don't know, six, seven minutes. Um, and in it, he kind of just brushed by the fact that he almost left Oregon. He talked about how he was iffy on them. You know, I was asking about how, uh, you know, the last couple of months have gone for him because we really haven't been able to talk to any of these players for months now. Um, and so through the whole coaching search, the cycle of that, you know, just what it was like for him. Um, and Manning just, he point blank said that he was iffy on Oregon um, before the, the school hired Dan Lanning. Um, but he mentioned that the Kansas City, the Missouri connection that he has with Lanning, you know, Dante is from Kansas City. Dan is, is not really from Kansas City, but he's from Missouri. So there, there's that part of the side of the equation where they can kind of line up. Um, but yeah, he said that uh, it, like Dan was his one of his primary recruiters at Georgia. And Georgia was one of Dante Manning's final schools before deciding to go to Oregon. Um, he had one line that I thought was really interesting where he said um, it was kind of like the best of both worlds for him. He got to go now. He gets to go to the school that he chose to go to and get the coaching that he wanted. So that that was an interesting little tidbit that he mentioned. Um, yeah, I think I think the University of Oregon is lucky to have Dante Manning still. Um, I know that his on-field success has not matched his uh, recruiting prowess as a five-star kid coming out of Kansas City, um, but I'm, I'm very high on him. I, he he was also very high on Coach Demetrius Martin. Um, I think that if if things just start to click, I think he could become somebody who's very very good. And Oregon has had a history of uh, of cornerbacks being being drafted the last couple of years. Um, they've also had a history of, of throwing these guys out into into games early and just letting them either get their you know their heads handed to them or not. Um, and I think Manning didn't get that opportunity last year because of Michael Wright and DJ James, but he's certainly going to get this opportunity this year. And him and Christian Gonzalez, um, like Eric mentioned, like those guys are clearly the one and two or one A one B, however you want to describe it for this cornerback position. Um, and I think that's that's pretty good. Um, again, we haven't been able to really watch them go at receivers or what they look like in zone or whatever the case may be. We'll find out at the spring game, April 23rd at 1 p.m. Um, but we'll see. I, I'm excited to see how Manning does. I'm very high on him this season. Um, but uh, for, for how he talks about Demetrius Martin, it does seem like that Demetrius Martin has a whole um, – I don't want to say a stranglehold, but he has like this, this overpowering um, like coaching idea over this cornerback room. I'm not sure how to put it, but it seems like when he, when he talks, the players listen. Um, it's exactly how they want to be coached. Um, he keeps it real with them. He seems like a very nice guy, but as Manning said, you know, when, when your technique is wrong, he'll let you know. Um, and I think that's important for this group, especially, you know, as they are a little thin and they're going to have a lot more younger guys come in and join them later in the year. As we wrap up this podcast, we should mention today's been the day for breaking news uh, right before and during this podcast, Devin Allen signed a contract uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, pretty cool. Pretty cool to see. Uh, he was at Oregon's pro day. Jared watched him and what a week later it's resulted in an NFL contract. 
the guy is incredibly gifted athletically, so I'm not surprised, but it's going to be interesting to see um, that transition. A lot of There's been a lot of track athletes who tried to do this, and I know Devin isn't just a track athlete because he has a football background, um, but there's been limited success, I'll put it that way, from a guy trying to go from an Olympian to trying to be an NFL player. Um, optimistic it works out. I was kind of hoping he'd land with Marcus Mariota in Atlanta. I thought that would have made some sense just because of the lack of receivers there and their history, but who really cares? It's awesome. He's going to get an opportunity right. and, and we'll see if he can make the team ultimately. Like we'll, we'll be, it'd be interesting to see kind of how that plays out for him, but he certainly checks the boxes in terms of this is a guy who fits. He, he's a top tier athlete, certainly for the position. Yeah. Still a top tier athlete. Absolutely. Ran a four, three, five, 40 at the, at the, at Oregon's pro day. Um, not surprising that the track guy runs fast, but very excited to see him potentially be on an NFL roster. Obviously, there's still the, the training camp portion of it. Um, he talked about it in an interview how there's a whole different idea of uh, training for football and training for track, which, again, isn't it's not an obvious statement um, or it is an obvious statement. Excuse me. But, you know, he's got to work on his cuts. He's got to, he's no longer just running in a straight line. Um, but I, you know, with with teaching, with getting into better shape, getting into football shape, with his speed, you know, there's a chance that he could, you know, make a roster, make an impact. Um, you know, just hoping for the best for that guy who's gone through a lot of lot of injuries, a lot of a lot of difficult times in the past couple of years. It's gonna do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back on Monday with another mailbag. Until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.